Listener Production. Shares, Market. the S&P, the ISX stocks. This is the Motley Fool Money Mailbag. Welcome to Motley Fool Money, our very special Sunday mailbag edition. I'm not even sorry I'm saying it's very special. Andrew, it's always very special because, well, I'm here with you, but mostly because we get to answer our listeners' questions. How are you, Mr. Page? I'm very good. Yeah, I'm keen to dive into some good questions. Mate, we have some excellent questions. By the way, as I said on Friday, we're going to pre-record a couple of episodes in the coming month or so. So now is an excellent time to make sure the mailbag is nice and full. If you want your question answered, this is probably, I'm not going to say the best chance you ever have, but we've always got extra. I don't remember the last time, mate, we didn't have any left over at the end of a, a recording, but we're going to be recording a heap. So if you get them in now, really, really, really great chance to get them answered. Just a bit of a tease for our for our long as a long-suffering listener, our, our right. long loyal listeners are probably suffering. Um, yeah, at this point, if you're still listening, you've got major issues, uh, mate. Uh, how has your day been? Oh, <laughs> so just before we hit record, I was just like railing at Scott about my latest uh, real estate incident. So it's it's one of those kind of days where I'm banging my head against a wall. So you know, oh. it is what it is. Mate, it's really important that you don't have to do the same thing over and over again, banging your head against a big wall or answering what is straw man. But, but what is straw man? <laughs> Private online investment club is what of we are. Of course it is. Of yeah, course it is. Yeah, Mate, yeah. let's get stuck into it. I got a question from Patrick, which I really liked. Uh, we talked a little bit about AI on Friday, so it kind of goes from there. And Patrick just, but it's not, not directly, he says, Hi, Scott and Andrew, I have a question for the podcast, please. I enjoyed your recent discussion about the pace of change and the challenge of picking future anti-fragile companies noting changes in artificial intelligence and other areas. Based on the idea that change is occurring so much faster than it has in any other phase of history, does this make it much more difficult to pick long-term individual stock winners? I know you'd still look at the fundamentals of a company rather than macro trends within industries, but it's still hard to analyse the fundamentals within that fast-moving context. In light of this, should we just revert to ETFs? rather than try and pick stocks if it's so much harder to analyze and predict changes to the fundamentals of companies over time. Thanks, Patrick. So it's not just about AI, not even specifically about AI, just a question I think about kind of the pace of change, mate. And, uh, you know, there's a, you know, we've said this before, but, you know, uh, a couple of, well, not even that many generations ago, if your dad was a farmer, your grandfather was a farmer, you were a farmer, your kid was going to be a farmer. These days, trying to work out what job I'm going to have in the next, well, not me personally, hopefully, but, you know, this is the next five years, let alone professions, let alone changes in those industries, let alone generational changes. Are we, are we, we, we talked about AI, but just given the pace of change, are we getting to the end of being able to realistically and confidently pick which companies are going to outperform? Yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely much harder. Howard Marks, I think I've referenced it before, but um, sign up to his memo. He, he releases memos mm, from time to time. Off. They're kind of like, a bit like, Warren Buffett's shareholder letters. They're just full mm-hmm. of wisdom. He's been doing it for ages. Um, he made the point that, yeah, the 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 change in technology and, and the, mm-hmm. the acceleration of that is exactly doing that, making it much harder to pick long-term winners. Yeah. You know, there was a time when you could look at a, a lot of businesses and say, like, I'd bet my left arm they're around in 20 years, more or yeah. less enjoying the same competitive position. That's very hard to say. And I can think of a very recent example because I, I would have said that one of the deepest moated companies in the world, probably mm. still is, would, is, is Google, right? Um, yep. Yep. How do you disrupt them from search? And then ChatGPT came along and then a lot of very smart people are saying this might act maybe Bing, maybe the new 
the new term is Bing. And, and that's still an open question here. I, I don't mm. personally don't see, I, I, I tend to think that they'll catch up pretty quickly on that front. But, but it, it's a really good case in point that, that how fast things can change. So yes, yeah. I think it is. I know it was very flattering of Patrick to say that we analyze macro trends and fundamentals because it makes it sound very smart and, you know, but <laughs> the trouble is there is that you're, you're, you're looking at historical data, you know, it yeah. might not be relevant. Like a lot of the greatest companies look fantastic until they didn't. And, and so that's, <laughs> yep. you, you still have to make sort of predictions on the future. And it's just very, very, very difficult to do. So I think ETFs are very sensible in that in that kind of context the other comment i'd make though is that it's we talk too broadly when we're talking about stock picking we we had a chat about woolies um on friday's podcast yes and i don't think that's likely to be materially disrupted <laughs> any anytime soon right um but there are other companies out there that could absolutely their existential threat could come in the yeah. form of technology any day so there's there's a lot of different areas and individual businesses that are more or less affected by that. I don't think it negates stock picking. I mean, don't ask the barber if you need a haircut. I'm a stock picking guy. So I mean, I'm, <laughs> I'm the right. wrong guy to we'll, ask. We'll get out with the ship, yeah. <laughs> but but I, do, I do feel as though, I, I, I feel as though there's still a place for it, but you yeah. just need to be hyper aware of mm -hmm. the rapidity of change that, that is out there and, and factor that in. I don't want to be invested in anything that, that um, at least has a, material threat of, of near-term disruption. Yeah, I like that. Um, I can't disagree meaningfully, mate. I, I, just a, a slightly different lens on this one. I have, you've, 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 me, you've said nice things about me on this one. Uh, we've talked before, you know, buy and hold is the, is the usual kind of, you know, cliche. And I've always said, or almost always said, buy to hold, which is I, I buy with the intention of holding for the long term. Yep. And I think, Patrick, my take on this is you're absolutely right to think about what can I reasonably expect? So, so a couple of things. Firstly, if I haven't got a reasonable sense of what the future might be with a reasonable high level of confidence, I don't buy the shares. Yeah. So like you know, now, other people do things differently. If you're a value investor and you're, um, you cannot, you, you've got a holding period of 12 or 18 months because you want to get the value and then go, then you don't need to worry about it. Or if you're a, a growth investor and you're saying, look, I'm going to get one out of five right, but it's going to be spectacular when I do, then again, you can probably afford to be wrong about some of these things. So everyone's different. My style is... I, so if I don't know, if I look at something and go, oh, I don't know, I'll give you an example. Wealth management platforms, net wealth, hub 24, uh, class, what's the other one, mate? That was four, can't remember now. Anyway, mm, um, sure. these guys were disrupting wealth management massively. And I looked at that and went, wow, this is happening. This is a thing, right? Wealth management being disrupted. But do I know which one wins? No. Do I know what the course of the future will look like? No. Um, am I sure one of the big guys won't get their act together? No. Okay, well, I think it's being disrupted. I think online, you know, kind of new built platforms are the future. I just don't have enough confidence to work out which one of those is going to win. So I just don't, don't bother. I, I think it's likely they'll make some money. Maybe they all will, maybe some will. Maybe there's a winner and a loser. I could have bought a basket, but I just went, I don't know, too hard. Don't know, don't know. So I simply left it aside. Um, so so my, my starting point is, do I have a reasonable degree of confidence about the future? And then that buy the whole bit comes in, which is, I think this is a decade long, you know, decade plus investing idea. Uh, if and when <laughs> I've proven wrong, then I'm going to jump out and go and do something else. And yes, I will probably, might, I might lose money or I might not. Uh, I might not make as much as I would like or I might not, but that's how I would think about some of that stuff. So to your point though, Ram, I have, I have I'm, I'm reasonably heavily focused towards consumer facing businesses 
where brands and pricing power exist in, in significant quantities. And so for me, I'm like, you know what? That's, could it be disrupted? Of course it could. Is it really, really likely to? No. Now, I own shares in Google, by the way. So uh, I'm, watching, I'm watching AI with, with a very close eye because if it does start to jeopardize that business, then you know, there's different decisions to be made. Um, I'm also not sure, by the way, with, with that chat GPT or artificial intelligence that there's only one winner. You know, the first one out of the gate has a really good opportunity. Uh, we've used the beta and VHS example way too many times to kill, right? But the reality is, if you'd said in 1980-whatever, oh man, look at the lead, beta's got this, this is going to be phenomenal, shut the gate, right? No one invests into VHS anymore. Uh, now, I'm not saying it will be that way either. There's other examples where first out of the gate has absolutely redefined the rules. But, you know, MySpace, Facebook, another example. So I invest with a long-term home horizon when I think these businesses have a chance of beating the market over the long-term, hoping to hold them for the long-term um, if circumstances change, as was it Keynes? Um, you know, when circumstances change, I change my mind, what do you do? Um, that, that's kind of the, you know, the approach I, I try to take. I'm not perfect at it. I, I've said before, the other one uh, I like, I'm slow to buy and slower to sell. I've held some stuff way longer than I should have. Uh, I've also held some stuff despite short-term grief and that long-term perspective has really helped me. So that, that's my broad approach to try and manage that sort of stuff. Yeah, I, I agree with all of that, mate. Um, I mean, there's good opportunity that, that's out there, you know, for, for, for mm. those that are prepared to dig a little bit deeper, go beyond yeah, the first level yeah. narratives, sit through the volatility. And the point that I'd really underscore, and got to say it again and again, is that I think mm. too often we go in with unrealistic expectations. That is that I'm going to have a very, very high strike rate <laughs> and the gains are going to be nice and even. I've heard the market goes mm -hmm. up at 10% per year, you know, and it's like, well, it never yeah. does. Never. Like I think you can count on one hand the number of times it's actually gone up by 10% in an, in an individual mm -hmm. year. It's much worse than that. You probably, I, I think I was you the other day, I was saying, I, I'd be surprised if, if more than 50% of my stocks do well over the longer yeah. term. Yeah. Um, it just, it's just, it's just how it goes. Right. And, and, your point is a really good one. I, investors beat themselves up too much when they get it wrong. When it's like getting wrong, it's just a, it's a Tuesday, yeah. right? Like it happens. It, it's, a, it's a question of how badly you yeah. get it wrong and how frequently you get it wrong. That's what you need to really, really concern yourself with. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But more to the point, when it does happen, it's how you act. And you've yeah. just said it. Like just let go of the ego. Uh, it turns out that predicting the future is really hard. <laughs> I had good reason to believe this. Turns out I was wrong. I'm out. Move on. Yep. You know, yep. sell and buy somewhere That's else. A shame. Yep. Yeah, it's a shame. Yep. You don't, don't, you know, not, oh, the, the, the wrong take, and too often the most common take is, oh, it's all rigged. I hate it. I can't possibly do well. I'm out. <laughs> That's right. Like, nah. That's very true, mate. That's very you know? true. George Soros has a 30% strike rate. I think David Gardner at The Fool, something around that as well. Close, Both yeah. gentlemen yeah. have made insane amounts of money. Because when they get it right, they get it really right. <laughs> you know, it's, it's flippant to say it. You can only lose 100% on any, any position. You can make many, many, many times that uh, on, on the upside. So, yeah, I, I, I think that is That's actually point, my man. biggest weakness. And I think it's probably of most, true of most investors is that reluctance to admit mistakes and then to act decisively. Not because yeah. the share price has gone down, but because the company is just not delivering in what Correct. it said and it's not likely to to turn around it's like get the hell out move on mm -hmm. you know and you don't forget you can always you can always buy it back if you change your mind again right like buy it back 
And there's no tax consequences because you're selling it at a loss. Too. So <laughs> right. there's really no excuse not not to do that. But this is this is something where you just have to have that level-headed expectation of what this is all about. Know 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 the landscape. Know thyself. Act accordingly. Motley Fool Money. For more, subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash listener. Mate, here's one from Bertrand. I really like this one as well. I like them all. Hi, boys. I've been a fervent listener of The Fool for the past four years. And like you guys, I lean more towards good companies rather than property. I'm a firm believer of the wealth that the share market can produce. In saying that, says Bertrand, my question today is about property. For a long time, I shared Andrew's view regarding owning versus renting a home, flexibility, affordability, etc. But times have changed. Following Andrew's thought about inflation being around mid-single digit for several years to come, can we assume wages increase? Sorry, wage increases will happen will uh, uh, occur uh, through a domino effect. Shouldn't we all buy a property now? Then. I like this. I like this way of thinking, mate. He says interest rates have peaked, according to most, so mortgage repayments won't change much from now on. While we can expect our salary to go up at a much faster pace than it has been in the past ten years, we could argue that we could invest the extra income, but the rent we are paying would increase as well. In proportion to the income, the debt today will be very different than the debt in five years' time, which makes inflation my friend. The same friend most countries need for their own debt. Am I correct in my reflection? And would Andrew change his view if he thought inflation would remain that high? Hmm. It's a nice way to think about the question, isn't it? I do take issue with one part of it. (laughs) Go on. Which is, shouldn't we all just buy a prop? Too often it's put as if it's a choice. It's not a choice for a lot of people. You don't have a choice, right? You just physically... I mean, I've got a friend who's on... uh, fairly senior in a construction company, he gets paid right. really well. And like he probably rents a nicer house than he could, but he spends 45% of his tax income on rent. He's yeah, like, right. well, how do I buy a house? Like, I mean, I, I, the, I'm, so much of my money is going towards rent. Where does, where does, mm-hmm. where, what's left over to put towards a deposit? And there's a path that he can get on, but it's going to take so, 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 so long. And uh, people who run their own business, it's usually a lot harder to get credit for and just, you know, so there's, there's that. The other thing is as well is like, well, you need in that there's an implicit assumption in all of that that I will get the pay rise. Well, maybe you won't. You know, it, de- it depends on where you are. If, you're, right, if you've right. got very highly desirable skills, uh, then yeah, then that's probably something you can rely on. A lot of people can't rely on that. And, and, and even if they can rely on it to some extent, will it be the, to the extent to cover inflation? You can mm. still absolutely go backwards. So with all that being said, I, I actually think that Something like property, is, which is naturally scarce, um, mm. actually probably is a pretty good store of value longer term. As long as you can burden the, you, you can shoulder the burden of, of the interest repayments and the rest of it. Right, right. My issue is more with like, I don't, I don't think this double every seven years nonsense is going to like just mm. mathematically can't continue. I think, it's, it, again, it's the expectation. And, and I guess the other thing I would just add, I, there is such a religious faith in these capital gains that, yeah. that helps rationalize that. And again, I'm, it's, I'm not taking, it, it's just as wrong to take the other viewpoint and be equally mm. firm in those convictions as well. Mm. But it's, it, you know, if your pay doesn't go up at the rate of inflation, if the capital gains don't materialize, if mm. anything mm. happens where you can't service that, that, it's not, we look at it as risk-free 
is it, that it's open to everyone. It's just mm. factually, it it's not the case. And the final point I would make is just to the avoidance of any doubt. People tend to think I just anti-property for the sake of it. I think mm. property is a wonderful asset, but I'm just not levering five to one into a negative yielding asset. If that was the same mm. for a share or a private company or any, I, I, I wouldn't be, I would not be doing the same kind of thing. Mm. So if you found for me a really nice uh, property where I could feel as though the equivalent um, yield on that in, in on net terms was was positive against the rate of inflation. Back up the truck. I'm the first one in the pool, right? It's great, great quality <laughs> pr- asset. It'll protect my long-term wealth, generate a bit of income. I'm all in, right? I'm all in. But aping into something with massive leverage, with negative really real yields, assuming that I'm <laughs> going to get a pay rise, assuming that the capital gains are just going to forever be there like clockwork, just it just seems... It seems dangerous to me. I don't think we're quite uh, uh, honest enough with ourselves in terms of what the risks are. What about if the question was, and I don't know what the question was from, from our question, but what if it was about the, a, a residential, a, an owner-occupier, if you're going to buy a house? Hell yeah, tomorrow. You know, someone, someone, who's, yeah. someone who's rented for the last 10 years because they thought they get more money elsewhere. He's now looking at this and going, well, hang on, I can take out a loan at today's prices and pay it back with tomorrow's income yeah. uh, to, to the extent that incomes are likely to grow faster than in the past, but the debt won't move because the debt is the debt. Is that the time? Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of, I mean, this is the great thing. Inflation will help take care of a lot of the debt. Mm. Um, so I, I, I agree with all of that. So if I could, if I could service that mm. loan, Allowing for the unknowns, which maybe interest rates go even higher. I don't know. It's very possible. I don't want to bet the whole farm on that. This is it, right? And then mm-hmm. look how look how many people got their knickers in a knot when the RBA started raising interest rates, yeah. as if it was against some law of the universe that they should do that. And well, that's what's going to happen. These things like that will happen. And I'm taking on a twenty to thirty year commitment here. So if I if I could buy a house, if it was comparable to what I would get through alternate means, i.e., renting. Uh, in terms of the cost, and that I didn't, I didn't, and I was, I had a little bit of a buffer around, you know, higher costs and whether I lose my job or any unknown outcome in my life. Then 100%, 100%, great investment. But it's, 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 it, it's the, you, there's a, there's a difference between an investment and there's different between something you get direct non financial utility through. And, and that's, that's that is the best thing about property. I can live in the damn thing and I can live there and do what I want and not have to beg and plead because a light bulb needs changing or God forbid, <laughs> you know, the, the door falls off the front, you know, something like that. Yeah. I, it, yeah. makes, it makes yeah. an enormous amount of sense. It's just as I've railed about many times before in this country and many others, we've just financialized the whole thing. And it is, yeah. it is now a, it is, it is now something to speculate on and it's far less about something to live in. So they're different, different viewpoints. Yeah, absolutely true. I'm going to take a not a different view to you, man. I'm going to add another level of thought, which is that I think the question is perfect up until the point in at which the repayments also differ based effectively on the rate of inflation, which is interest rates themselves. Yeah. And so it's one thing to say if I could borrow at two percent. Uh, in a non-inflation world where my pay wasn't going up by much, or I could borrow at two percent in a highly inflationary world where my pay is going to go up. You know, hope, well, the numbers are actually on Wednesday. Three point seven percent was the annual most recent annualized number. That's fine, but inflation grew up faster than the wages, so you're actually going backwards in the rest of your life. And rates have gone, as we well and truly know, from zero to three point eight five. And so I would, I would just add that other little wrinkle, which is 
it maybe if I, you know, if I could borrow a fixed, if I could do, if I could, if, if someone today said to me, obviously they won't, I could borrow for 30 years at 2%, uh, pay it back at my leisure. So I could pay it back early if I wanted to, but 2% was the most I was ever going to be on a fixed, super long-term basis. Uh, would I would I borrow to buy a house? Yeah, absolutely. No <laughs> yeah. brainer. Right? Yeah. But you are, not only, not only is there the capital gains questions you've mentioned, mate, which I think are real. Um, we've talked about that before. But again, just be mindful that the extra inflation comes with those extra costs, which are the higher interest rates. And so over time, you might want to make a decision about what the real benefit is. If inflation stays high, your wages will be higher, but the rates will be higher. If inflation comes down, your wages probably won't go up as much and rates will come down. But to some degree, those those are fellow travellers. So the dollar value of the debt doesn't change. So the principal bit, and there's a benefit in the principal because your principal doesn't increase by the rate of inflation or, or interest rates only impact the interest component of that. So it's absolutely still true that it's not the whole debt that's going up by that rate. Just be mindful that interest rates also increase and can go further. can also go backwards, of course, at the same time. Um, so just, just kind of keep that in mind as well because I think those are two really useful just, just things to remember that as I said, they're fellow travellers, they go the same direction. Yeah, just, I mean, back to basics here, you know, I need somewhere to yeah. live. This is affordable means for me to do that with all the advantages right, right, right. of ownership. If I can do it, do it, 100% yeah. do it. Yeah. And when yeah. it comes to investing, just don't, be very wary of, of highly mm. leveraged scenarios on something yes. where, you know, the, the only way you do well is through very significant and consistent capital gains. It just, mm. it just, not that the, the, the counterfactual will occur, but you need to be open to that possibility. And I, my worry is, is that too many people just to see it as an impossibility that can't happen, despite it happening in very recent history in, in many developed parts of the world, <laughs> you know, hasn't happened here yet and maybe it won't, but it's just sort of like, gosh, I hope a lot of people are right on that because they, they'll be absolutely wiped out, in a, you know, if, if that's not true. Yeah, absolutely. Mate, um, let's go to a question from James. Says, G'day, Scott and Ram. Firstly, I, lo- I love the cringeworthy question at the beginning of every pod. Oh, don't it's encourage the- him. I, I'm not. I, James, I'm just, I'm the vessel, mate. I'm the messenger. I am <laughs> clearly just the, he says it's, it's the only part of the podcast that doesn't lead to Ram going on long sweeping tangents. <laughs> <laughs> He says, Rant, brackets, ranting on property and Bitcoin. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. In brackets, I love the tangent, says James. Uh, short and sweet, private online investment club. Next. Fair. <laughs> In all seriousness, I love all of the insights and the laughs, and I haven't missed an episode since I started listening about 18 months ago. Thank you, mate. I got a question about leveraged positions on the ASX, speaking of debt, particularly the SP 500, sorry, SP ASX 200, two times daily leverage ETF. The way I see it, this is an opportunity to take on leverage and potentially increase returns over a longer period without the risk of a margin call. What am I missing with the thesis? I'm sure it's something he says. And what is your non-financial advice thoughts on positions like these? Thanks for providing something I look forward to listening to every week and full on. Please don't mention my name. Joking. I know the rules. That's from James. Well done, James. Um, I'm, I'm loving the loving the feedback. <laughs> the kind of in jokes, the kind of working, which is lovely. Mate, um, leverage is one of those things that can magnify gains, but magnify losses. In a market that in theory goes up over time, uh, is using leverage in this sort of instrument a good idea? Well, isn't that a nice segue from what we were just talking about? Isn't it? Uh, again, for some reason, it's different with property, but uh, yeah, um, uh, yeah. No, you got to be very careful. Double-edged sword, you know. Uh, look, there's there's something to be said for for a moderate degree of leverage for a very long-term 
play. I, I, you know, it's probably not something that most people should do, but I've got some sympathy for those that are going in eyes wide open, very conservatively geared, very long-term focused quality. But, you know, it's not, it's not the most reckless thing in the world. It really isn't. And again, you just have to look at the person who's gone, <laughs> not just five to one, 20 to one on their, on their latest <laughs> investment property to be like, actually, you know, this actually doesn't look as crazy as it, as it sounds. But just be aware that there's no free lunches. I attended an event recently and there's all kinds of people there selling financial products and they all essentially promise a free lunch. We give you all the upside, but none of the downside, you know, or we get rid of the volatility, but you maintain the returns. Like there is always a compromise. There is always a compromise. And even if they are legitimate in their intended strategy and the rest of it, well, they'll charge you a fee for that. And you've got to look at things on a net basis. So I'm, I'm usually pretty conservative around those things. I've mentioned before that I do have a margin loan facility. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got zero debt on it. In fact, negative. They owe me money at the moment. Um, <laughs> but I love it because it just gives me that line of credit that I can act very quickly if I need to. And then I can move some money around and settle it. So I never, ever carry – I use it in the same way that I use my CBA credit card. Never have a, I never pay interest on it, but you know I'm quote unquote borrowing money all the time. It's more of a cash man or management tool than than anything else. Um, so it's hard to I wouldn't be too black and white with all of these kinds of things, but just just be aware of ask yourself what is the compromise that is being taken here, and I, everyone's aware of the upside of doing it. What's the <laughs> downside? Now you're comfortable with that. I love that, mate. I think that's exactly the right question to be to be proposing. I will. I will tell you for what it's worth, mate. I've just I've just pulled up some charts, and we can't do this on on a podcast particularly well. Um, but obviously, two times leverage works in both directions. So keep that kind of in mind. Uh, according to some charts I'm looking at here, and I can't promise you it's necessarily 100%, but it should be reasonably close. Um, the the over the last uh, five years, this this index has gone for this uh, yeah two times leverage index. It's actually a, an ASX 200 index itself has gone from 1100 and what was it. 1117 points to 1300 and uh, 1295. So 1295 to 1117. It's gone up by 15, 16% over the last five years in total. Hmm. The ASX 200 is up 18.3% yeah. over that exact same period. In other words, for all of the double leverage you think you're using, you've actually got a lesser gain than if you just bought the underlying index instrument not, un- not uncommon, yeah. Right. So, look, the, the, I think you're, you're, you're right about, and I've said many, many times, if I could, if I could get a non-recourse, non-callable margin loan now, uh, and I, I, would, I would borrow my entire future investment in total dollars today and, and let it ride, because I think, you know, if you get at a, at a you know, 2 or 3% interest rate, it'd be an easy, easy decision. But the problem is these things are, first, firstly, this is a, it's a daily leverage ETF. So it's actually made, believe it or not, for day traders. And they do reset daily. So it kind of takes some of the joy out of it. Also, the costs of that are obviously part of that process as well. Now, the, the ASIC has gone almost nowhere. And so has the, the uh, double leverage ETF. There's a very decent chance if the ASIC goes up quickly in a hurry, that's where you probably get make the money. But then you've got to try and trade this thing. What is, you know, again, it's, it's a long-term instrument in theory, but the money's only made because of that cost of carry or cost of the, the, the debt effectively. And the fact that it magnifies both directions. Mm-hmm. If the market's roughly flat, you're probably going backwards. And yeah. so look, the ASX up 18% over five years. That doesn't include dividends, by the way. Um, what's that, 2.5% a year, 3% a year, if you're lucky, something like that. 
leveraging that, you know, you're not going to, you didn't, you didn't pay back the cost of the leverage. So if you'd done it five years ago, yeah. you'd have less money than if you just got on the index. Now, will the next five years be different? Yes. But in which direction? I don't know. <laughs> you know, how different will it be? I don't know. So I would, I would, I would suggest against it. It's one of those things where the magnification works, but obviously, and by definition, works better the larger the gains of the underlying instrument. So you've got to believe you've got to buy buying something that would go grow more quickly than the underlying. Uh, sorry, then you know basically the cost of debt plus plus the, the fees and everything else that go with it. I look, you know. Would I like to have a leveraged access to the ASX? Yes, by definition. Would I take it today without a margin call at a good interest rate? Yes. Uh, there's, as you said, mate, no free lunch. Someone's taking it. Someone's taking a cut to provide it. I, I don't. I don't know whether it's worth the downside risk and the hassle that comes with it. And frankly, as I said already, the last five years with a with a negative return compared to just buying the instrument itself and just taking the money. And you can still be right and lose your shirt. So imagine yeah, I, I go back in time and yeah, I, I go back yeah. to the end of 2019. The yeah. All Lords was sort of around 6,800 at that point. Today it's mm-hmm. 7,400. So I, I come back from the future and I say, yeah, in uh, mid-2023, that's what the market's going to be. I, was like, I am mm-hmm. going to leverage that. That is, you know, <laughs> why wouldn't I? Well, mm-hmm. of course, the market lost 30% in quick succession on the way yeah. there. Yeah. So it's the, it's, the, it's the journey as much as the destination. And Correct. if that wipes you out, and you're a forced seller because you don't have the collateral to lodge against to, to keep the position open. Yep. You're wiped out. You're forced to take in a lot. You're forced to take in a leveraged loss at the worst <laughs> possible time. That's right. That's right. Even though your thesis was, well, over time the market is, will go up. It's like, well, yep, that's true. That actually that actually happened. You still you still mm-hmm. did your dough. No, it's not for thousand percent true, mate. I, I really like that. I think it's it's just also you know the if you're taking. If you're using leverage, you just want to be, you want to be, not going back to square one to your point. I think, you know, that, that's always by definition a problem. The other thing I want to make the really, 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 really clear point on, it's really important, James, and I, I'm sure you know this, but for anyone else listening, just be, remember that just because there's no margin call on you doesn't mean there's no effective margin call inside the instrument itself, right? Because you might have to put more money in. And you may not get called for the loan, but if, for example, the, and I don't know about this particular, this is an index, by the way, rather than a product, but uh, if you had a product on this index, what, what, what are the terms of the loan? I mean, obviously, if it's, a, if, 50%, if it's double leverage, they're borrowing 50% and investing 50%, that's how you get the double, right? So what are the terms of that debt? Who can call that debt? Uh, what are the fees? At what point does the debt provider get access to the assets themselves? I mean, you, you know, just because there's no personal margin loan, it's great because it means you're up, your downside is capped, which is important. But the outside is still 100% if you get it wrong. So just be, be mindful of that as well. Yep, well put. Hey, one from Emad who says, uh, thank you guys for an enjoyable way to get useful insights and good information. Our pleasure. Uh, I followed the banter on inflation and productivity in the last few podcasts with more than usual interest. You correctly say, says Emad, the RBA is trying to crush inflation by reducing the demand side of the supply-demand equation. In simple English, this means a recession that makes people poorer so they have less to spend. No, I love it. After Thank in- you. Thank you for someone saying that in plain English. Uh, after inflation is beaten, interest rates go down, demand rises again, we again get inflation, and the cycle repeats. I will say, by the way, I don't think there's only a recession is the only outcome here. It's one of the outcomes sure. if they get it wrong. You can have reduced growth in demand, uh, which they, they, they'd be happy to do as well rather than absolute recession. Soft, soft landing? That's the hope, right? Yep. It's a narrow, narrow, narrow uh, runway, but that's, that's the hope. Yep. Uh, Imad says you did not mention the other way of fighting inflation, i.e. increasing the supply side of the supply-demand equation. Increasing supply requires government policies that reduce the cost of inputs to industry. 
What we have is the opposite. Companies spend years and billions getting new approvals for oil, gas, mining, major factories and major projects. Byzantine environmental red tape, lengthy negotiations with multiple layers of bureaucracies and community organisations, the rising cost of electricity, threat of increasing carbon taxes, etc., etc. These are impediments governments can remove if they have the political will and vision. We have the raw materials and a skilled workforce. We can be a very efficient workshop for the world. And automation should reduce the negative of our high labour cost by leveraging those high skills. The same with non-improving productivity, he says. Technology means fewer workers now do the actual work. But now we also have many non-productive workers, handing regulatory red tape, public relations, human resources, dodging activist groups, etc. Average productivity suffers as these extra workers are counted. Let's give the RBA a break. The only tools they have, he says, affect the demand side. If the only tool you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. If we're serious about inflation, we should address the supply side. Let us learn from the experience of our UK friends. The chief economist at the Bank of England just told them they need to accept they are poorer. We do not need to follow them down this road. Am I missing something here? Am I barking up the wrong tree? Your thoughts, please. Regards, Emad. I love it, Emad. I love it. Very good. Very good conversation, hey? Yeah. You were only, I, I'll, I'll pull the curtain back. You were only ranting to me uh, a little bit earlier about the uh, challenges of, of red tape and bureaucracy. I, I, I'm, I'm assuming you're on team Emad here. Oh, man. I think anyone who's running a business and you... you I'm, look, uh, let me start the, this by saying I'm for oversight and regulation. You know, I, I'm not... Unfettered capitalism generally a bad idea. I mean, yep. kind of naturally leads to just... Sort for of, a while. Then. Like Apple yeah. will start selling heroin, right? Like yeah. it just... It's the best product in the world. So oh, can you imagine, how much, imagine how much people would pay for Apple heroin. Apple they heroin. Go for the, same thing, you go for double the price. Best, best heroin Apple. around, you know. It comes with earpods. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so yeah, so I think I'm, I'm for that, but at the same time, I think, especially once you experience it firsthand, like the inefficiency, mm. the bureaucracy, that just, just, it is nightmarish. And mm. so, yeah, I, I agree that a lot, a lot <laughs> could be done there. A lot of it is actually just is, is getting out of the way because markets yeah. will naturally deliver lower cost mm. through productivity enhancements and competition and all those good kind of things. So, um, yeah, I, I, I 100% agree. I 100% agree. We need to do more on that. It's not, there's no one magic bullet, silver bullet, for all, for all of these kinds of things. And we've, we've, um, I've been exasperated many times in this podcast that we only <laughs> just talk about the one side of things. It's only about interest rates, you know. And, yeah, yeah. And, 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 and not, not just what Emad suggested there, but just the, the more general fiscal approach to these things, a lot more Correct. could be done, a lot more. Correct. There's enough. Yeah, I just, I, I just I quickly, yeah, there yeah. is enough stuff in the world. We're mm. basically what we're doing. It's really the base layer here. We're just rearranging atoms. Is what we do as a species, right? We <laughs> yeah, take true. we take sand and we make computer chips out of it. The most advanced, like man-made things we've ever seen in in the world. Mm. We're getting really good. Well, what we can do now, a modern farm can be run by a handful of people and feed thousands. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like this is this is a, um, a, a wonderful thing. <laughs> so, and, and I think something like thirty percent of food globally is wasted. You know, so we've we've, we've got the resources, we've got the means. Mm-hmm. It, it there's a lot of a lot of things that can be done in terms of uh, efficiency, productivity, all the rest that sort of get there. The, the trouble is humans. <laughs> It's <laughs> basically the problem. We're our, we're our own worst enemy. It's all climate change thing, right? The planet will be fine. We just may not be ready to see it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it, it'll heal itself in a few correct, thousand correct. years. You know, yeah. <laughs> we might not make it. Um, I, I largely agree with both of you. Uh, I, I think 
I think the challenge for us is a couple fold. I think the first is that we need to be mindful. I, I, so I would start by saying, this is, let's, let's get really, you know, hippie or whatever for a second. First thing I'd say is the economy is there to serve society, not the other way around. Yep. So do we need more stuff? I don't know. You know, like at, at a very fundamental level, if we just did more stuff, you know, and even this demand supply, I mean, you've, you've ranged on this a lot around, but the reality is that we're just, we're just kind of, we're, we're re, it's been rearranging atoms, we're kind of rearranging dollars, right? Mm-hmm. How, many, how many hours of labor gives us how much standard of living? And frankly, the why I, I completely agree with actually I agree with you on a structural level, on a cyclical level, I don't think these solutions are, are the solutions they might otherwise be. And I guess I say that because we have inflation now, not because we have had a hundred years of slowly worsening things that all of a sudden went bang. We have a very, very, very I'll say temporal, in other words, time bound issue where we have a, a, a short-term squeeze between supply and demand. And frankly, you can't solve supply problems on the, on, at the speed required to fix an inflationary burst, for example, right? Which is not to say we shouldn't be more productive. It's not to say we shouldn't have lower costs. I, so again, I don't think you're wrong, but I would say if we're talking about there's inflation right now, could, you know, could, we, could we all of a sudden you know, uh, drill 15 oil wells, put up 115,000 factories and build a million new homes? No, we, we literally couldn't. Not in the time. So you know, the, the, the combination of fiscal policy, which you referenced, Ram, and monetary policy are our tool to deal with inflation right now to get it back to a more reasonable level. Because you just can't, you can't bring supply responses on anywhere near quickly enough to, do it, to, to solve this problem. You can, over time, have a better economy and frankly, so what, 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 where I think we're completely aligned and where we get back to that really pointy end is what is productivity? Productivity is getting more out of the same. And if you can do that, then you actually inc- improve everyone's, I would say everyone individual persons, but as a group, our standard of living. That's exactly how, that's the only way you improve standard of living is to get more from the same or get the same with less or more with less, hopefully. That's exactly how productivity does improve lives. I work one hour, I can afford more than I could afford one hour of farm labor 150 years ago because the one hour of, of work that I do, aided by computers, aided by technology, lets me create, you said, Ram, you know, feed thousands on a single farm with half a dozen workers. Mm. That, that's productivity. So yeah. you're absolutely right, Matt, in terms of improving standard of living, quality of life for the world. That's absolutely important. And we can do amazing things and we should keep doing amazing things. I don't think, honestly, mate, it makes a difference. I, I know you'd like me to say it does and maybe I'm wrong. But it's not going to solve the inflation problem now. The productivity is a long-term issue. Uh, it, it should, we should be absolutely laser-focused on it because the only it's the only thing we can do to actually improve standard of living. Otherwise, we're just shuffling paper backwards and forwards. So that is really, really, really important. I completely agree. I do think, um, you know, do I want more oil, gas, and mining? Not really. Uh, do I want carbon taxes? Yeah, I actually do. Um, I know you're, you're kind of speaking against it. Again, that that societal thing. I think it's a societal good uh in the tuesday economic term that is is bigger than just the number of dollars we shuffle around and, and things we make so i'm probably somewhere in between mate i'm not a growth at any cost guy uh and i've debated population before for example uh, i think i think we want to design the best society we can and then use the economy to deliver that outcome rather than maximizing the dollar things because the dollar things are worth doing um, i mean that that's you know at one level i'm trying to make as much money as i can as an investor but I also want to do that in a world that you know I, I, th- I kind of feel good about living in and living for the kids. So I, I'll probably 
I, I broadly agree with both of you, just mm. with those couple of wrinkles just thrown in in terms of how I, I'd probably position inside a, a bigger conversation. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't. I think you're right in terms of the immediacy of the impact, but you you just you want you want a pretty well designed system so it can at least be more adaptive. And I think we've got to get rid of this notion that prices are something that should be controlled. It's very understandable, but very dangerous thinking. Um, prices should change in response to de- supply right. demand imbalance. That, uh, exactly. that is what money money is. A, I've funny. said before, it's a global <laughs> yeah. coordination that's mechanism. How that's how capitalism works. By, by, that's literally how it works. Right? If it creates super profits, someone comes in and does more stuff, the price comes down. I mean, part of the supply response for EMAT is actually people will come and do those things. They'll see opportunities. Yep. Jeff Bezos' famous line, your margin is my opportunity. That's oh, oh. that's precisely when, say, when people say, get oh, out of the way. Profiteering, it's like they're not profiteering. They're, they always profiteer. That's literally the business model is I will charge as much as I can every single time I get away with it. Yep. At some point, companies are air quotes profiteering because they can. Other times, prices don't change over a decade and, and they can't. And that, that's that's just how it works. Yeah, uh, I, I, I think so. We've got to get rid of this fallacy of control. We can't mm. control. It's too big. It's too mm. nebulous, you know. So let, set the frame, as you say, put the pro- appropriate guardrails in place and let markets do what they do. If I'm selling a bunch of umbrellas and I, mm. I'm yeah, selling like- them for 10 bucks, an mm-hmm. umbrella, and then one day it's just really rainy and I put my price up to 20 bucks. People go, that's really unfair. It's like, no, it's not. That's, that is absolutely the exact economic outcome you would expect when supply stays constant and demand goes through the roof. At the same time, in a free and open, efficient market, others will look at that and go, well, I've got some umbrellas as well. I'll, mm-hmm. I'll sell them for 15 bucks. And, then, and, and we as consumers win through all of that kind of stuff. But that without that price change, we don't signal the supply response, right? Like it's, it, it, is, it is really, exactly. really, really yeah. important. And, yeah. and so I just, I just can't emphasize it a, a, enough. I think we lack such a basic understanding of what actual money is and what it does and the problems that it solves that we, we, we get too stuck in things that sort of at surface level, it might appear fair or not, but it's actually mm. just key to the whole system functioning. Yeah, uh, let, me, let me quickly, I, I don't want to keep doing this one, but let's just one more, I think, the, the umbrella example is even better, mate, than, than you pointed out. You did a great job. But there's one more than that, which is the umbrellas, then, and there's inequality in the world, which makes this difficult. But, but leaving that aside just for half a second, and people say you can't do that, and I agree, but let's just do it for a sec. Um, prices also mean that scarce resources get allocated to those who value them most highly. Yep. So I've got an umbrella. I don't need another one. Or, you know what? If the umbrella is 20 bucks, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to save my, I would have spent 10 bucks on an umbrella. At 20 bucks, no, get stuffed. I'm going to go and walk in the rain because that's worth more to me. That's a really good economic decision. You say, no way. Scott, you haven't got hair, but I've got hair. Mm. I, w- I want to get my hair dry. I'll, I'll pay the 20 bucks for the umbrella. That's, that's, exact, that's exactly what should happen. Like it, it's, people make those decisions as we go. And by the way, if you left it at 10 bucks, you'd still sell the exact same number as umbrellas mm. and you'd sell out because you haven't got as many because mm. they're all going, everyone wants one. Mm-hmm. So who wins in that case? Well, you still sell the same number of umbrellas. So the same number of people still get wet. Mm-hmm. There's no there's no reasonable economic exchange at that point where it literally is. It's it, we've talked a million times about opportunity cost. That's exactly what this is. It's I'm going to save the money and save the ten bucks. Thank goodness because I would have spent ten. But you know what? I got home and I saved ten bucks. In fact, I saved twenty because you're going to charge me twenty bucks for the umbrella. I said no. So I feel good because I'm wet, but I, I saved a few bulb. Yeah. You're saying, well, I, I really want the umbrella. I, I would have paid thirty, but twenty is pretty good. Okay, that that's a good deal. I really wanted to stay dry. Got an important job interview on the week. Uh, yeah, on the way home. I'll, I'll do whatever I need to do. And that's, it's, it's fundamental to the economic system. The rationing of demand is exactly what capitalism does beautifully. And for all of its failings, and there are millions, 
it is, as Churchill said, the least worst, the best system, except for every other system that's been tried. Yeah. That, that's sorry, the worst system, except for every other system that's been tried. That's the very point. Yeah. That's why it works. You can't, and you've got to be careful with equality. I mean, such a noble goal, right? You yes. know, we should all have the same. It just, it just like that's just not the nature of things. Um, where I'm very strong on, I think we should have equality of opportunity. Mm-hmm. Like I, I shouldn't be disadvantaged because I'm a female, I'm not white, and Daddy yep, didn't have yep. a big trust fund, and I got to go to the best, you know, best private schools or all whatever. That that's what sticks in my craw. I think there is always going to be unequal society. I think to mm-hmm. us, to some, it's a question of degrees, but to some bit of degree, it's kind of important for incentives and to make people take risks and get out of bed and and work hard and all of that kind of stuff. Now, if I'm guaranteed, you think of it from a game theory lens, if I'm guaranteed to get the same amount as everyone else, just to take it to a stupid extreme here, Mm. there's there's no upside in me ever taking risk or working harder than the other person or doing anything like that. So it's sort of, it seems very... Uh, what a markets guy would say. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. and well, I'm not that. I think everything should be for, well, I do, I do too, but it's just, mm, it's, mm, it's just mm. not how the, the universe sort of works. And yep. you can imagine a, you know, hyena on the Serengeti saying, it's not fair that the lion has sharper teeth. And it's like, well, guess what? That's just the world as it is, not as how you would have it. So I think, I think we need to get past that. Where we need to be very ideologically driven, though, is to make sure that everyone at least has the same chance to succeed in same opportunity and where capitalism fails and where it gets the right criticism is when we lean into crony capitalistic tendencies where we have industries that enjoy certain protections that should that would and and, and exploit that to their own advantage that that, mm. that shouldn't happen that's where i'm going to get as angry as as anyone else and i've got to say at some at some level you know an appropriate safety net for those who do fall through the cracks for you know reasons that are I'm too various oh, to hundred percent all yep. that kind of stuff. It, 100%. It's, it, and, and we can be less unequal. I think I, 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 I hate binaries, as I know you do, mate. And yeah. and the question isn't equal or unequal or you know, equality or inequality. It, it's not a case of either everyone's exactly the same or it doesn't matter. Yep. What we're saying is there is a point. You know, is, is it obscene that CEOs get paid tens of millions of dollars and someone's on you know $17 an hour? Yes, that's absolutely obscene. Is that appropriate? No, it's not appropriate. Does every, Should everyone therefore get $28.50 an hour no matter what they do, how hard they work or what value they add? No. And so there's, there's different, you know, the, the opposite of, there is no the opposite of inequality is inequality and vice versa in in, in, yeah. any, in any real sense other than other than pure pedantry there is inequality will always be there we can be more responsible at how we share what we have in, in an appropriate way taxation is important welfare is important job opportunities important to your point mate um, those are those are those are really important outcomes yeah hey let's um let's go to a question from Jackson which is really interesting to me he says g'day Scott and Andrew I have a question pertaining to the public rise of activist short selling it seems many short sellers keep producing reports with ongoing success I've since done some research into these businesses I wonder if the same kind of thing happens in Australia with ASX listed companies now he's um Got, he's listed he's done really good research Jackson he's in my research I know it's an information sheet 255 published in May 2021 on the ASIC website I'm curious if this was in response to events that occurred why did ASIC need, feel a need to publish this information sheet I quite like the idea of activist short selling he says as a method of accountability for business other investment managers in Australia that engage in activist short selling are our regulators good enough at their job that there are far less opportunities for this kind of practice super curious to hear your thoughts ideas and objections thanks Jackson what do you reckon, mate? You, well, you go first. I, I always go first. You, you go. All right, fair. Uh, I should say, so this information sheet is one put out 
Uh, and I'll just, I'll just literally list what ASIC say is. Uh, it's an information sheet that briefly explains what active short selling is, describes the impact, provides an overview in the regulatory framework, recommends better practices for active short sellers, and lists some of the actions we may take in response to these campaigns. I think it's very fair to say that there have been activist short sellers uh, who've targeted Australian companies. Many of those, by the way, from overseas where ASIC doesn't have jurisdiction. And this is where the international law gets really messy really quickly. Um, very difficult to police for ASIC, for example, uh, an Asian or American or European-based short seller who says, I think you should go short on you know, um, Page and Phillips Incorporated Here's why it's a terrible business. The whole thing's a fraud. It's terrible. Da da da. The accountability to that is very, very hard for ASIC to support. So that's and there were some uh, external. I think there. Were, I think this one was probably. Like, I shouldn't. I shouldn't. I shouldn't describe too many motives, but I think it's likely this was in response to a couple of very high-profile activist short-selling uh, campaigns during 2021. So you're probably right, Jackson. That's what it's for. In terms of the idea, I really dislike activist short-selling, and. It's generally, and I get, I get accused of being biased and all this stuff, and that's fine, knock, knock yourselves out. Um, mathematically, there is no difference between going long and going short. Every time you as a shareholder sell your shares, you are effectively saying you don't think it's going to be as good as the person who buys them. Uh, and if you think you're any good at identifying companies whose future value should be higher, there is some intellectual honesty which says the same analysis or analytical techniques should also be able to tell you where a business is likely to be lower quality and therefore the share price might fall over the long term. And if you're right about that, shouldn't I be able to profit from that? That's the, that's the argument that's made. In a, in a theoretical world, that's absolutely spot on. I've said before, I've annoyed some short sellers, some particularly high profile ones in the past, uh, saying I would ban short selling given the choice. And I would ban short selling largely for market, I'll say protection reasons, we just finished talking about, you know, what safety nets and other things should be in place. Um, Here's, here's, the, here's the thing. If I say tomorrow, hey, I reckon Page Incorporated's a fantastic business and I reckon the future's really bright. And I, I plus that everywhere. Page Incorporated shares probably go up half a percent. If I put out a report tomorrow that says, Phillips Incorporated is an absolute fraud. The whole thing's a debacle. There's empty offices. There's not as many outlets as they say. They've got no relationships with any retailers. A large swathe of the market says, oh, where there's smoke, there's probably fire. I better sell my shares just in case. The shares plummet 10, 15, 20, 30%. The short seller who's betting on that already because they've already got their position before they put the report out says, beauty, thank you very much. And then sells or, or actually buys back the shares but closes the short position and make, banks their 30% profit and goes, well, that was a good day's work, wasn't it? Now, maybe they're right. And maybe it is, to your point, a method of accountability for business. Or maybe they're wrong. But it actually doesn't matter by then because they've already wandered away with their proceeds. And my issue is that because humans feel fear far more intently than greed, because these reports are designed, I'm not going to quote any particular provider so I can say this, designed to create fear and panic and capitalize on exactly that, that gets really, really, really uncomfortably close to what some, in, if it was done in a larger degree might be called market manipulation that is unreasonable unfair attempts to manipulate a share price to gain something not just be being right and i guess my point is if you want to be a short seller shut up about it if you need to be activist in other words if you need to make your case publicly why are you doing that you're not doing it for any other reason than to try and specifically create the effect 
that you know you will create by virtue of what you're doing. It's far more a marketing document to my mind than a genuine information report. Uh, and so I don't, I don't think it actually adds anything to market operation. And so I would absolutely tomorrow ban short selling. I don't think it adds anything. I, I am, I'm pretty purist on this. The market is a place to swap ownership stakes. <laughs> it's not there for derivatives trading or options trading or short selling or CFDs or any of this rubbish that gets created where we, we take the respectability of a stock market and then throw a casino over the top and say, but it's shares, so therefore it's not gambling. It's actually investing. And I'm a sophisticated investor. I can make these decisions and take these chances. Uh, so I'm, I'm, pretty, I'm pretty direct on that one. Um, I have a feeling Andrew disagrees with me, so I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing this. <laughs> yeah, I'm all for it. Um, free market of ideas and opinions. Have at it, you know. Um, where I draw the line is where there are falsehoods. If you come out and simply give a series of facts, uh, I don't see anything wrong with that. Um, some short sellers are uncovered all kinds of frauds and scams that are hurting a lot of people. You know, I'm, I'm glad that they, there were people who went through the weeds and discovered it and, and, and told everyone about it. Yeah, I know they're making a buck of it out of it as well. So, but, but I think, I think it can be a force for good. And I think it can put companies, you know, a bit more on notice to say that, you know, it, if, if, if you, uh, if you're if cooking the books, you're doing something dodgy. There's a lot of smart people out there running, watching you very publicly. So I don't, I don't, I don't mind it too much. I don't even don't think it really matters that much. I mean, WiseTech had a big short report. Was it WiseTech? I think it was WiseTech. Yeah, it was. Yeah, WiseTech. Yeah, a couple of them actually. Yeah, shares are at record highs now, right? So they go, oh, all freaked out and, and moved on. It's like, sort of like, well, who did it hurt? It hurt the person who panicked, you know? Correct. But if there's not activist short sellers out there causing panic, well, I don't know, draw, draw something out of a hat. There's a thousand things that are going to do that. So markets are always going to be uncertain yeah. and volatile. So again, if they're out there just preaching yeah. falsehoods, then yeah. you know that's a different story. It's like calling cr crying out fire in a in a in a building when there's yeah. not a fire. Is that 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 is very um, unethical? And I I agree with you there. But if you're just sharing, I mean, long long only investors put out reports and stuff all the time. I get I get the behavioural difference. I do. Yeah. That, but, that honestly, it's mainly behavioural. If 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 the response to short reports was was equal in size to the response of longs, I would actually have no problem with it. It's not. Mm. It, 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 I think in this case, I am policing the effect, not the act necessarily, I, for exactly those reasons. We just, always last time we saw a, a long report that sent the share price rocketing compared to a short report that sent the share price down hugely. I also, That's the bit that, that worries yeah, me. Yeah, I think markets are very adaptive uh, mm. um, as well. So I think it's, it, it feels like a more, particularly here, more of a recent phenomenon. I feel it's a trick that you can only do a few times you can imagine after <laughs> yeah, a while right. you just get hardened oh it's another bloody short report with their yeah, you know yeah. see, seeking to uh serve their only their own self-interest mm, mm, you know mm. um i held i still got a few shares in um nanosonics for years mm. and years they were one of the most shorted stocks on the market <laughs> just like what <laughs> how, does, yeah. how, does, how does that make sense and people pay attention to that and it suffered yeah. for a bit. They went from eight bucks all the way down to gosh, three dollars or, or so. Mm -hmm. Didn't bother me at all because there was no there's no clear thesis behind it. I mean, that's cool. You, you've got to be used to as an investor that people are gonna have different opinions and that they're gonna everyone's gonna talk their book. It's fine, but but I just I rest the entire enterprise mm -hmm. on that the truth will eventually out. <laughs> and yeah, so I just uh, I, I don't have I don't have too much of a problem with it. 
yeah no fair enough i yeah i, I look i actually i don't care personally um i own i own still shares in corporate travel management they had oh they had a big sh- yeah yeah was it 2018 19 something like that something like um, that great uh, example i don't really care right what 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 annoys me i think is i'm you know i'm annoyed on behalf of other people and i think that's my my general thought the the reality of um what it does to people i just i just think it's it's just it's, it's yucky right and doesn't it, again if you want to go short go short yeah and do your own thing you know when you make the i i really struggle to believe that anybody who does it publicly is not trying to to engineer a share price response that's the bit that annoys me is yeah. not that you know and so you can argue some longs are too but the reality is it doesn't it doesn't work so it's harder to make that case maybe with some small cap dodgy stuff you could make an argument that you know sure. hot copper pump and dump thing or yeah. whatever but a genuine a genuine research firm who says i think bhp is great i think their profit's going to be great i think it's a really really great company i love the shares you should buy some shares up half a percent it's like oh, okay when someone says bhp is an entire fraud in fact the you know such and such a mine doesn't exist and whatever else so, and again you're right about the false stuff I, I shouldn't use that example but the, the the activist the activism is intended to create a a very specific response on the share price by definition that's yeah. the bit that really gets in my i don't i just i, honestly, I, just I get that it, i get that it annoys you i get that it annoys, and annoys me is that too manipulation is not what it is i mean yeah if there's laws against market manipulation if you if your if your entire point of making these things public is to precipitate a response i don't honestly know how if you created that from scratch today and said i've got this really good idea but here's what we're going to do Actually, be like, no, you can't do that. That's market manipulation. You you can't go and say those. Well, you, know, it, you know what I mean? Like it, that. It comes back to the the, the the truthfulness. Let let's say that tomorrow yeah. I find uh, a really big deal with the the financials of CBA. You know, mm-hmm. and it's just it's 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 factually based, <laughs> and I yeah. tell the world that. I think I'm doing the world a favor. Like it's, it's going to come out, whether it's me now oh, or someone but, else but that, later. That's almost the point. Is it really a favor though? No, the, the shares are still held by somebody. I, that's the one I actually, I fundamentally disagree with that. If we're saving people money. It's like, how do you save money? You still send the shares to zero. Yeah, but the so money was lost either way. Well, before, right? Look, if that's there my was, point. So if there, the favor. If there was a legitimate issue at play yeah. here, and it's yeah. just a question of when it comes out, it's like, well, don't mm. shoot the messenger, right? Like mm. you've, 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 you've rung the alarm bell appropriately. And a lot yeah, of people will be there's caught. No, there's no social good in that, right? Because the, the money's lost anyway. Like it's not really like. Who, well, we who, can pretend the issue is not there, you know, if we want. But the issue is, I'm, what I'm saying is, it's a fact. There's yeah. a there's a big yeah, sure, sure. there's a burning platform here, and you know, it, it is going to out at some point. Mm-hmm. The frauds cannot be per- perpetuated. They just can't. Exxon was always going to zero. Once Hang they on. certain no, said, Exxon. sorry, Exxon, very thank you. <laughs> <laughs> just, just for the lawyers out there, he so, said sorry. Enron, 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 yeah. Enron. Like that, that, that thing was that thing was going to zero, of no matter what happened, Correct. right? Correct. And at a short seller preceded that with a bit of a reply. I, I, I don't, I don't have an issue with with that no, for sure. at all. For sure. Um, fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. Hey, um, let's let's go. Um, his, uh, let's finish off with a question on return on equity. Because oh, yeah. we, we had a really good conversation about this. And so we got a, a response from, from Brent who says, Good morning, gents. Your recent discussion on the return on equity for CSL really intrigued me. I'm reading a book at the moment giving an example of how low ROE can destroy shareholder wealth. The example shows how a 5% ROE on cash retained by the company only resulted in a 2.5% gain in the share price. Whereas a company with a higher ROE, using 20% as an example, and retains the earnings, was able to grow the share price and shareholder wealth. He makes the point that a company with low ROEs better serves its shareholders by paying out the majority of profits, whereas a company with high return on equity with the same PE, of course, better serves its shareholders by retaining earnings. 
As for each $1 retained, the share price will grow by more than a dollar. The latter example of retained earnings sounds very Berkshire Hathaway-esque. I was having a hard time understanding the appeal of a business like Berkshire that doesn't pay dividends to its shareholders. As without a material return in your hand, aren't you just buying a business hoping someone else will pay more for it at a later date? But then, on one of my YouTube Warren Buffett rabbit hole voyages, I heard the Oracle say, Berkshire has never distributed anything to its shareholders, but its ability to distribute goes up. So I suppose my question is this. As ROE clearly sounds like a vital metric for any business, why isn't it discussed more often when people are talking about companies? And secondly, is there a minimum ROE you require when considering an investment? Warmest regards, Brent. Oh, great question. Yeah, I don't know. There's lots of really important things that get ignored. Um, so I don't know why it doesn't get talked about more. I think it gets talked about a fair amount for those that have been practicing this for a bit. Um, so... Yeah, I agree with Buffett's statements. It's the ability to pay it out that 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 matters more, and and we've said before it's silly mm. for him to pay a dividend when when yep. he can retain that money and get a twenty percent return on it. Like you've been, right, if, right. if Berkshire had paid a dividend with a sixty percent payout ratio since inception, it, you know mm. we probably wouldn't have even heard of it. it certainly, That's wouldn't true, be the yeah. success story that it that it that it has been. And investors, even if they'd taken the money, would be worse off because you wouldn't have found a better long term invest- reinvestment opportunity than Berkshire itself. Yeah, so so absolutely. The trouble with it, though, is again, it's a back like so many things. It's backwards looking, and those that aren't yeah. backwards looking are relying on guesses. So you're kind of damned if you do, damned if you don't. So mm. there's a lot of good examples. I was looking at a company just recently, Symbio, used to be called MyNetphone, had a phenomenal return on oh, equity. Yeah. I'll try yeah. and bring it up. It's a telco. Um, it's too much to sort of go into here. Anyway, I was just I was taking mm. a look, and yeah, I checked out the return on equity. So back in like mid uh, 2015, around then, they were getting 40% return on equity. Uh, today, it's 5%. Wow, now, that's I had not followed this for a couple of years, mate. That is precipitous. Yeah, yeah. So I uh, I haven't dug into it enough to. No, I know they had a couple of bad periods there and the rest of it. But again, it's 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 worth pointing out these things because a mm. diligent investor might look at this. Rising earnings per share, very good growth, very high return on equity, hopefully a bunch of other things, check, 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 check. And then it wasn't until it wasn't. So so you've got to be aware of that. And I would even say with, again, having done the due diligence, because it just sort of came across my desk and I was looking at a specific thing. It's un- unrelated to this to this, this point. <laughs> and, and, and I noticed it. But I also noticed they're heavily expanding geographically. I think Taiwan and Singapore and somewhere else they're, they're moving into. Well, guess what? Um, that costs a lot of money. And you don't get the money back until the, those investments are established and, and starting to generate cash flow. So sometimes they're falling return on equity, yeah. particularly when these things are just looked at on a year-on-year-on-year on year on year basis. So all this money goes out the door. No return on that yet. The business is still being built, established over in those new jurisdictions, or maybe it's a new product altogether. But then next year, those come online and then the profit gushes and their ROE figure looks very different again. So you've got to look... I think it's all th- always through the lens of what's the return on invested capital, um, but it's it's you you're going to see natural variation there, and sometimes it's not going to be a bad thing. I would love to say, and as a younger investor, I definitely did this. Just look for these four metrics and make sure they fit within these parameters, yeah, and you'll be fine. Yeah. It's a very appealing thought, but it doesn't yeah, work, isn't it? No, it doesn't work for a couple of reasons, mate. Um, 
the other thing about the symbio numbers as I'm looking at them now, the ROE has fallen actually not, well, partly, not only because the business is, it's not so much the business is less efficient than it used to be, it's the fact that profit's actually falling. <laughs> so which is, which is almost kind of the point, right? In terms of, if you think about, you know, backward looking as you, as you rightly highlight, well, okay, back in, you know, 2015 when its ROE is 40%, it was making a certain level of profitability. Mm-hmm. And then it's, you know, grew a little bit up to 2017. And that's basically since then, earnings have continued to fall. It's very hard to get a, a good or growing return on equity with falling earnings unless you're actually getting rid of some equity at the same time because mm-hmm. the E on the bottom, return on the top, so profit divided by equity effectively, if the profit falls and the equity doesn't fall, then your ROI must go down by definition. It's kind of the way these things work out. Um, and I think that's an important consideration. So think about what's looking forward rather than backwards. Uh, uh, very hard for a declining business to improve ROE, almost by definition, right? So, which is, on one hand, not a surprise mathematically. It also probably everyone would say, well, of course I wouldn't buy a business that was had falling profits because that'd be silly. And yet you would have might have looked at Symbio in 2015 and gone, 40% ROE, of course I'll buy it. Uh, yeah, look at the ROE, it's great. I think that's the problem with these um, fundamental based reviews when you just plug in some numbers and say ROE of this whatever that and the problem with it even though people who use these formulas or, or, or ways of investing would would absolutely say in the next sentence of course you need to know what the profit's going to be you need to do the work on that and so it's kind of like they do I guess we all do we do we, you and I talk about PEs and price to free cash flows and other things as if they won't change either it's the same thing with PE right PE will, will yeah. fall uh, sorry PE will rise if earnings fall Mm-hmm. So a P of 14 looks great, but then a P of 20 because the earnings fallen by half is not particularly attractive, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's kind of the, the way I think it's worth thinking about these ROEs. In terms of why it doesn't get more coverage, it's just complex. And that's the individual investor's opportunity, but it does require you to go a couple of levels deep in understanding what companies do. Um, that being said, uh, sorry, sorry, I should say, so you ask about which number's too low. I... I don't have an ROE target for two reasons. One is what we just talked about before, which is that the future matters, not the past. So, you know, I own companies that are loss-making businesses or, or very modestly profitable businesses that have terrible ROE because I think the future is going to be brighter for their profits. So it'd be silly for me to say, imagine, imagine Amazon or, uh, I don't know, pick, what's another company that's gone from loss to profit and done really Fortescue, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, it's ROE is terrible. I'm not going to buy shares in that. You go fast forward X number of years, like, no, actually, no, it turns out, you know, that actually worked out pretty well. So you've got to be very careful with that. Um, and that, so that's, I said a couple of reasons, that's pretty much the only reason I don't use historical ROEs for the sake of it. I would absolutely mm. love a high return on equity business if I can find one. Mm. But the other thing is moving forward, and this is, this is really important, if you're gonna if you're gonna retain any equity, so your your point about the question and the examples given, Brett, are really good ones. Because if a company retains any equity at all, uh, then it needs to be able to effectively utilize that equity to grow. In other words, it's got to invest that money and do something with it. Now, imagine a business that is imagine a, a software business, right? Uh, the almost the entire investment, the almost the entire cost base is people. You know, there's a couple of servers, but you probably rent those anyway. Um, so what equity does a, does a, does a fast-growing um, you know, software company need to deploy? And so it's almost, there's a couple of versions of this. I think on one level, you want to keep it if you can use it, which Buffett has done by investing in more and more things. The other thing is, even if you've got a higher ROE, if you can't get a high return on the incremental, the next lot of equity you keep, you still should pay it all out. Yeah. 
Does that, does that make sense? Anyway, I'm trying to explain. So, you know, I was going to go there, actually. Yeah. 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 So there's a concept called return on incremental capital. Oh, sorry. Yes. Or, or you, Any of those. Gosh, that's another yeah. rabbit hole. Yeah. Um, a return on incremental <laughs> equity. It's a different, yes. different yeah. metric measures. What, what Capital just looks at mm-hmm. debt as well. So it's just like, what's the return on all the capital at my disposal? Mm. One just looks at net, net, net assets. Anyway, it's a whole other <laughs> rabbit hole to go down. But return yeah, on in, incremental equity is saying – what is the return I, on the money that I retained, the equity that I retained, what yeah. return did I get on that? So I strip out the profit from last year. I strip out the equity that I already had from last year of the new equity that I, I gained by retaining earnings. So mm. equity is net assets. I retain cash. So my net assets go up. So I've retained this yes. much equity Correct. and I've generated an, uh, a return above last year. So again, mm. you can already imagine with what I'm talking about, there could be all sort of exceptions to the rules and things yes. that change that. But it is a useful way of looking at it because companies may have had historically very high return on equity, but the, re- mm. the retained mm. earnings is actually getting a very poor return, which suggests very bad reinvestment which suggests just pay out a bloody dividend yep. <laughs> no reinvestment mate like in my, in my yeah. example of the software company you, you keep the cash you put it in the bank you never actually need it because you don't use it for anything so yeah. what happens your cash pile grows your ROE drops because you can't like you, you're going you're gonna, and the, the other one by the way the bit in between is where it gets hidden yeah it looks like high ROE because the business is just growing yeah but you're actually not even using that equity even in, even in a growing ROE business it can still be a bad idea to retain that cash and not pay it as a dividend, which sounds really strange. If I'm growing, why not? Why not? You know, keep all the money and use it to grow. And yeah. I would completely agree. But once you get to the point as a business where you are cash flow positive, you don't need the, the retained money. Doesn't do anything for you. There is literally no use for that cash you're keeping. You might want to bolster the balance sheet, pay off some debt. I mean, there's, there's you know individual bits and pieces. But once you get past that tipping point, the money you're keeping, you don't you don't use unless you invest unless you literally invested in something. You don't need you should pay it out. So you, I, I would I think there are I, I would actually absolutely say there are businesses out there that are giving worse returns to their shareholders than there should be the case, because they are air quotes growth businesses, growing their balance sheets. Apple was a great example for years actually, mate. They've changed now because they're doing these big share buybacks. But for a long time, Apple had this growing balance sheet. People say that like it was a wonderful thing. They didn't need the money because they were generating so much bloody cash. That they couldn't, they, they didn't need to use it to grow because they could, they could grow out of the current year's cash flows. So why build the war chest for the sake of it? There was absolutely no. And I'm, I'm not an Apple, you know, I'm not an Apple fanboy. I'm not an Apple critic either. Berkshire owns a lot of it. I own shares in Berkshire, so I'm happy for it to do well. But for for a long time there, even though the returns equity were growing, they were growing because the profits were growing faster than the retained equity. But they didn't retain the equity at all. They really, they literally hurt. Like should have been buying back shares or paying out a dividend much, much, much earlier than they did. But they chose not to because I think at some point it was just like I've got more more coins in the in the corporate swimming pool to dive into, and that's probably a good thing. And I don't blame. It. I'd rather have that than you know risking too much debt and risking insolvency. Mm. But yes, yeah, so you want to what, what you want to ask yourself is how much equity are they retaining? How much is actually used to generate and retain equity in the form of assets because they've bought a factory or built a machine or invested in R and D? Then great, that's that's fantastic. But if that return on equity and the equity itself is largely cash equity or something else. Then they're just, they're, 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 again, no harm putting nuts away for winter. But you just want to be really, really careful. An incremental bit is absolutely what it's all about in my mind. This might be a good example. Um, you might know the business better than me. Mm. It's a little telco called Telstra. And uh, Telstra actually, uh, its return on equity has been on the wane for a decade or more. 
Mm. So back in 2013, they had a return on equity of 30%. Mm. Today, it's sort of closer to 15%. But it's, it's not, a, not a terrible figure, right? Like, it's awesome. In 2021, it was 20%. But at the same time, they pay out the vast majority of, of their earnings. Mm. Now, I would put it to you. Now, if you go over the last 10 years, the share price is actually down a bit. But on a dividend-adjusted basis, it's, yeah. it wouldn't have blown the lights out. But it'd be okay. You know, yeah, yeah. store of wealth, bit of an income, you know, not not mm-hmm. not a terrible, not a great, but not a terrible investment. And I would put it to you that shareholders would have done much worse had they retained the earnings and invested yeah, it back yeah. into the business. Because just there wasn't the opportunity that was there. They would have torched it. They just would have got a very bad return on that. And it's sort of like it's mm-hmm. been... And this is why dividends can be oh, – well, there's a lot of reasons why dividends be good, but one of the reasons I think dividends are particularly good is it gets rid of that money that's burning a hole in your pocket when you're in the boardroom, you know, and it means that when you do oh, yeah. need to make some capex, some capital expenditure, some investments, mm-hmm. you've got to be – there's much less cash that's around. <laughs> you've got to be much more certain of yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. So, and look, not again, I, I, I don't want to sort of throw shade at, at Telstra. It's – having to navigate through some very difficult structural challenges and all the rest of it. But, but I, I think that's a good case in point of a company that's had, it still has a reasonable return on equity, but has absolutely made the right decision to, to, to transfer the vast bulk of that profit back to shareholders. They shouldn't have returned it, but someone could have made the argument, oh, look at our return on equity. We should retain that. Like, no, no, no. In fact, the reason that return on equity has been on the wane suggests <laughs> very strongly, I think, that, yeah, that, right. that any, any return, uh, any, any reinvested money would have done even worse. It, that, that decline would have been far worse had they not paid out mo- most of their money. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's fine. So I think look, I, my, my, my bottom line for me is ROE is really important. I, I absolutely do look at it. It's absolutely a measure of quality for me. For businesses that are mature or maturing, where you can reasonably assess their ability to handle the profitability. You're obviously going to be profitable, have an ROE. So they can handle that profitability. They don't have meaningful needs for reinvestment. Or if they do, you understand, again, that return. You can, basically you divide, let's go to the other for half a second. Uh, look at the growth in profit year on year. Look at the growth in equity year on year. Divide those two. That's the return on incremental equity. And that's, that's the number I think you need to be careful of. If, if you think you can have a reasonable stab at how well it's growing, look at that number and see what's going on. But at some point, yeah. So what, what number do I use? I don't know. I, I'd love more than 15 given the choice. If I found a, a, song, a strong, solid business with good fundamentals, uh, reasonably sustainable levels of profitability, uh, understandable business, forecastable or not even forecastable, you know, roughly guessable uh, future growth prospects, and a high ROE, that's a pretty good thing. More often than not, you'll do really, really well doing it. Um, more often than not, by the way, those businesses are highly priced for exactly that reason as well. So again, you're looking for the variant perception. It's a very good tell on the quality of a business. The one yes, that, it's, one that it's, yes. no guarantee, but it's one a business that has consistently generated a high return on equity, it's got something going for it, right? Like yes, it's clear, it may, the future may change, we've made that point, but it's certainly been doing something right. And when you see a company with a long history of very ordinary return on equity, I mean, it, it mathematically, mm. it sets the upper limit of earnings growth for you. Like it's very, I think, in fact, it's, it's mathematically impossible for me to get a better earnings per <laughs> share growth than what the rate of return of equity is over a long enough period of time. Um, yep. So that's why it's interesting. 
I mean, I look at com- big, big, dominant, top 20 companies. Mm-hmm. You know, I'll, I'll pick a different whipping boy from AMP, Origin Energy, <laughs> right? Yeah. That, yes, they, they, they They're around 5%, I think maybe 7% they got last year return. It's a very ordinary business. They're not a bit there. Of all the money that they have got, the billions and billions and billions of dollars, they're getting a 7% return. It's okay. You know, it's half of what you've just said that you look for. And, and I, I agree. I think that, that, that sort of 15% levels are sort of a, a nice level to look at. But I look at that and just think, what are the odds that they're going to be able to materially deliver far higher profitability in the future when for a long time they've not managed to do much at all? I'm going to flick across to the share price part, but I, I think it's it's kind of like, I can't see how this isn't <laughs> anything but ordinary. Right, right, right. And yeah, sure enough. So even over yeah. a 10-year period, it's gone down 20% or something. Yeah. You know? yeah. No it, it, it suggested it's just just a poor business. I, I, so I will say the flip very side of this, poor. mate, is very ordinary. I, I will I will actively avoid a mature maturing business with a, with an ROI under ten. Yeah, and that, that that oh well, with 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 the exception of certain business types. So if you I think if you're a, a bank, the ROIs don't really count. There's yeah, things where yeah. you got to be you got to be a little bit careful. So again, I, I shouldn't be absolute with my blanket statements, but if you if you if you've got a terrible ROE, you just you can't, as you said, mate, over a long enough period of time, get a good invest good result as an investor. Honestly, though, you have to believe those businesses are going to suddenly improve their ROEs for one reason or another. Um, the only thing I'm going to add very quickly, we're wrap this up, mate, but is you can boost ROE by borrowing a truckload of money. Uh, I was going to so, go so, down that hole. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, and because it, because like anything, you know, you could let's say you got a business with hundred dollars worth of equity, and you're making ten dollars worth of profit a year, right? So you know, a ten percent ROE, it's reasonable. Uh, what you do though is you say, actually, what am I doing? I'm going to do a bank. I'm going to borrow ninety-five dollars, and I'm going to use those proceeds to pay back the shareholders. So now I've only got equity of five dollars, and I've got my ten-dollar uh, profit. Look at that! I've now got a two hundred percent ROE. I'm a genius. Except that you've got a ninety-five dollar debt, which if you're paying interest around what five odd percent, let's call that four dollars fifty in interest. All of a sudden, you've halved your potential long-term profitability and you've made the business far, far, far more risky as, a, as an entity. Now, some business can handle more debt. Telstra is one of those, by the way. It's part of the ROE. Mm. would be much, much worse than it was if they didn't have a truckload of debt. Uh, so be, be careful. Uh, that's just the other thing to just keep, a, keep an eye on. Yeah, yeah, no, well said. I mean, I always try to bring it back to just, it gets very complex and mathematical and all of this kind of stuff, but it just... You know, give me a million dollars, and if I can if I can make a profit of two hundred k on that within a year, I mean I'm just demonstrably mm. a better business than if we gave a million bucks to you and you made ten thousand dollars that year. I just it just is right. Right, exactly. Yes. Well, what do you want? Hire, please. But but mm. it needs to be legitimate, and it needs to be consistent, and it needs to be yes. replicable. And that's that. It just that's all it is we sort of couch it in these this sort of fancy language and mathematics but i just want to be able to get, generate as an entity as an economic machine as much money as i can from the from the net assets i have, uh, have available that's it full stop that's yep. that's what we're trying to look at here but understand the business itself don't just look at the numbers and say roe is x therefore it's a good or a bad business so therefore i should buy it or not yep understand the business's future understand what it does understand how it makes its money um uh, we've said a, men, a million times, both on Friday and today. You know, if, if it was if, if if it was easy enough to just plug into a machine, then it would already be done, and, and we'd be you know that, that's all you need to do. Yeah. It, it isn't, it doesn't, it can't be at least not yet until AI becomes properly sentient, and then we're all in trouble. <laughs> um, but you know, the, it's 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 a nice, it's a really good starting point. 
if you if you were to look for businesses with ROEs over fifteen percent, for example, on the ASX, I think most broker tools have like they've got this really simple ROE screening tools. Mm. Do that as a starting point. They go right of that list, and then go from there. I, and now it's not the only way because you'll miss the, the the turnarounds. You'll miss the businesses that don't necessarily fit that. You'll miss the small businesses that are going to grow and keep growing. Um, so you don't, don't want to only do that. But if you wanted to do it as a starting point, you'd get a very very good list of quality businesses from which to start then thinking about their futures and prices and, and, and build your portfolio that way. 100%, mate, 100%. I mean, look, and look at it just from a comparative basis as well. So if you made me the, um, I don't know, the chairman, CEO, majority shareholder of Origin Energy, I reckon I could create more value for shareholders by selling every asset that I have, <laughs> paying off my debts and paying all my liabilities <laughs> yeah. and putting the rest into Berkshire Hathaway. Now, the people would be like, right, what are you that's, doing? That's yes, not what you yes, do. Exactly. I didn't know. It's like, well, do you want more money? Or, or, yeah. or do you want to say yeah. that you're in this particular game? It, 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 I, I'm very confident that I could do that <laughs> because <Yeah. laughs> I know the returns that are likely under that, under that scenario. Versus, it's, again, everything through investing is opportunity cost. There is however many billions of dollars in, in tied up in Origin Energy and it's getting a 7% return at best, 5 yeah. to 7% return. And you've got to wonder as a, as a shareholder, it's like, well, guys, could, could we just – invest in something mm-hmm. else like we don't have to invest in our own business <laughs> right i would i would and, and i think shareholders be pretty grumpy but 10 years later they're probably pretty happy with that with that move um I, we've we've flung this horse we're gonna keep going just for half a second because i want to we we skipped over stuff because we assume we know the answer and people we assume people know the answer we just don't think of it what is equity equity is the difference between all the stuff a company owns and everything it owes what's left is the equity the equity in your house is the value of your house minus the mortgage. That's the equity that's left over. Equity, so for a company, Equity, mate. So the, the company, equity, is exactly that. If you took all the assets, sold them all, and then you paid off the debts, what's left is equity. Now, mathematically, that's true even if you don't do it, but think about it that way. Now, uh, Origin, by the way, you mentioned that you're very generous. Return equity about 7% last year. Over the last 10 years, the return equity was negative in two years because they had lost money. In three other of those years, it was less than 6%. So Five of the last 10 years, you had ROE of 6% or less and twice it was negative. I know what the average would net out to over that period of time. It's never been more than about eight and a half or nine from what I can see here. So if you literally, and so Andrew, this, this, is, this is literally what you could do. You could literally sell every asset of Origin Energy, sell it to AGL, sell it to someone else, pay off the bills, take the money and go and take that money and buy a bloody term deposit, let yeah. alone invest it in something else. Yeah, right. And you know, so you, you would get, I could get a four and a half percent return now but, and by the way, frankly, risk-free with the equity. If, you, if I own this outright, my, the equity I own in Origin, like the equity in my house, would be what's left. I'd say, great, I've got this much equity in Origin Energy. What should I do with all that money? I'm going to leave it in this business returning something less than 8% for the last nine of the last 10 years and hope that maybe the future will be profitable rather than loss-making and maybe things will get better rather than worse. Um, by the way... Uh, again, earnings not looking real flash. It's the sixth lowest uh, earnings last year in the last 10 years. So it's kind of all, you know, if you roll that all together and say, if I had, if I had this equity, if I owned this business personally, privately, would I keep running it? Or would I say, I can take that money. And by the way, James Packer did this with the media business. Yes. He said, I own, I own Consolidated Press Holdings. I own the share of PBL, Publishing and Broadcasting. This is a rubbish business. I'm going to, now it may or may not have been, but he said, this is right, I'm going to take my money and invest in casinos because I think that's a better business. Now, in the hindsight, it might not have been great, but mm. the idea was he owned this thing outright or most of it and said, well, where should that cash be? Yep. And we are the same as investors. Where should my cash be? Where's the likely highest return? 
would you hold a business that's going to give you moderate, mediocre returns? No. And yet, the companies themselves are exactly that. That's the operations they're in. Berkshire Hathaway. Can I, I'll finish on this, Ram. Uh, you know what Berkshire Hathaway used to be? It wasn't an investment company run by Warren Buffett. It was a textile mill. A failing it textile has, mill. It has, well, that's the thing. It has no textile business anymore. Because what did it do? It took it out, took the equity from those sales and said, let's use that money for something else. I mean, your point about investing at origin in Berkshire shares, Berkshire itself did that to itself yes. internally and yes. said, this is rubbish. Why, why are we in textiles? We can make more money taking our profits. Let's not reinvest it in textile mills. Now, origin energy be gutsy, but maybe they should be saying, actually, why don't we go and invest and become something else? Now, I don't love conglomerates. I don't love diversification for its own sake. But geez, if you had all this money, I think the coal company should be doing exactly this, by the way, Ram, right now. Yeah. They're getting sky high prices. Oh, may yes. or may not be stranded assets. Yeah. They should be going, so we're making all this money. We could buy more coal mines or we could do, or we could take that money and become something else. Yeah. I don't care if it's the energy business or not. I don't care about UV on climate change. I'm just saying as, a, as an idea, if you have this massive influx of money, you should be using that to do anything other than reinvesting in what could be a lower return, potentially stranded asset business. Yeah. It, it just make, it would make logic. They won't because... You know, if, you, if it walks like a duck, quacks like a duck, it's a duck. Every man with a hammer, all, every metaphor you can think of. Woolies will never do anything else other than be a grocer because that's what it does. That's fine. Mm-hmm. But if grocery, you have Qantas. Qantas should have done anything other than be an airline over the last 40 years. Yeah. <laughs> should have gone into anything else. Anything else. Yeah. But that's where we find ourselves. Oh, man. How's, yeah, that, it, how's that dead horse, mate? Is it flogged? Uh, I, well, I think we can flog it a bit more. I just, I, one, one point I would just make, this <laughs> no, yeah. sticks in micro a little flog bit because people, especially when you're sort of talking about small cap investing, you go, oh, it's, it's risky mm-hmm. and the rest of it. It's like there's, I can point to a lot of ASX top 50 companies that are, are absolute rubbish and they're, they're blue chip, quote unquote, because they're big. Not because yep. they're great business. Origin, AMP, great examples. There's dozens of others, just mediocre. And mm-hmm. then they say, oh, but at least they're not as volatile. Origin Energy, a top 20 company, was like 15 bucks a few years mm-hmm. ago. I mean, the space of a year, it dropped down to $5 at one point in time. Like these are very volatile, very ordinary businesses, but they're big and therefore they're safe and therefore that's where you should invest. And it just it just drives me a little bit crazy because it, to me, I've got companies that no one would ever would have heard of and absolute little like, you know, a gnat on the back of a flea on the back of an elephant relative to these companies. <laughs> but I, and yeah, volatile, yeah, the liquidity is not there, but I'd say they are far, far, far superior businesses than a lot of these uh, so-called safe haven blue chips. News Corp, last 10 years, return on equity just for the fun of it. 8%, 2 2.2%, 3.5%, 1.8%, 12%, 3.8%, 7.1%, 5.9, 7.5%. In only two of those years has return on equity been more than 6%. Only in three of those years has it been more than 4%. Now, again, think about all the assets of News Corp. I'm far bit for me to tell Rupert Murdoch what he should do with his money. But, you know, and again, I just picked that because you talk about ASX 28. I thought, oh, I'll do all the banks. Yeah. Uh, AMP is a bit of, well, let's look done original, let's have a look at something else. Um, you know, those are, those are woeful, 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 woeful metrics. In fact, by the way, the return on capital is even worse because they've used borrowed money a lot of the time. So the actual money they've put in the business in total has got an even worse return. They've been, the ROE has been saved slightly by debt. Even then, it's still woefully, woefully terrible. I, re- I recently, so I won't. Um well, I went to an event recently and there was um, uh, one of the directors <laughs> of story. AMP was on the stage. Oh, no. And Rob Milner from Salpats. Okay. So, yeah. Fantastic AMP, company, right? And yeah. they were sort of asking about, you know, view on the markets. And, the rest. and I thought, like, <laughs> can we just listen to 
to Rob only here because <laughs> here's a gentleman with with incredible track record and pedigree, you know, and here's someone who's sort of been at least partly responsible yeah. for overseeing you know one of the biggest corporate disasters. Well, no, that's okay. That's harsh. That's overly harsh. But it's like just mm. a terrible uh, uh, yeah. uh, outfit. But um, it's a fair question, though, right? Who are you, who are you, who are you going to ask for advice? You're going to ask the person who's been doing it for years and doing it really, really well, or it's the person who just happens to be at the top of any any company who's just either parachuted in or done reasonably ordinarily. It's like, yeah, maybe. You know. uh, I don't think so. You know, I'm 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 not going to get I'm not going to get investment advice of someone who's been overseeing that garbage fire of a, of a company. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, AMP shareholders. No, yeah. it's, it, I, maybe I should release a short report on on AMP and see if I can really shake things up. I think these days you've got to find someone that actually doesn't agree with you. <laughs> That's the <laughs> trouble. That's the trouble. Oh, no, I'm not, I, I was going to start in short reports. I'm not going to. Mate, we have done a wonderful job of going, I don't know, I'm not even sure it's over time anymore. I, I think there, time's There is no time limit anymore. There yeah. is no time limit. It's all over. Um, <laughs> thank you for a, a fun chat, mate. As always, I hope our listeners have found it informative. If you're still here, thank you very much for being here. Do send us your questions, comments, and suggestions as always. And until next Friday, full on. Cheers. The Motley Fool and people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. General advice only. Please speak to your financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your situation. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash listener. The Motley Fool operates under Financial Services Licence 400691.